I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host today for Delaware State of the Arts. Joining me by phone today is the violinist and artistic director of Seraphin Ensemble and the president and CEO of the Music School of Delaware. Yes, they are both the same person. Kate Ransom, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. So glad that you can uh, take some time out of your your busy schedule despite COVID-19 uh, to uh, chat a little bit about the Seraphin Ensemble and uh, we'll get to the Music School of Delaware as, as well. But let's start with the Seraphin Ensemble. I know you had a, a really exciting festival scheduled for June of 2020, uh, scheduled I'm sure long before the announcements came out in March that the state of Delaware basically had to uh, close down in many respects. Let, let's talk about that. What what have you been facing with COVID-19 and how are you adjusting with the Seraphim Ensemble? Well, so Seraphim Summer Music had a great lineup planned for June 5th to June 20th. We had seven concerts set up, um, really interesting, fascinating array of programming, uh, including a lot of wind players this summer. Um, and also just uh, 19 internationally acclaimed artists coming to Delaware for that uh, period of, of several weeks and the seven performances. Um, so obviously like all the festivals all over the world, those have been canceled this summer and we are going to present that same program plan in June of 2021. And of course the artists are sorry to miss being in Delaware and playing together but they all have their thumbs up to do it uh, next year. So um, that's the first thing we had to d decide and uh, with disappointment um, for ourselves and our audiences. Now, what, what kind of logistical changes had to be made? I, I'm assuming, uh, I mean, had some of the artists already booked flights and that sort of thing, or was did they have enough they, morning? Um, they had. Some of them had made arrangements, but most of the airlines are honoring uh, an airline ticket that, during this time period that couldn't be utilized or was canceled for whatever reason. So they're usually getting the full value of whatever they had uh, put forward in order to use it again later. Um, I think it's mostly just, you know, musicians love to play together and especially chamber music players. Uh, we live to collaborate. And so we miss the fact that we can't be together and do this and share it with our audiences. And we look forward to doing that next year. We are planning a Seraphim concert in August. And I am really looking forward to that as are my five colleagues who will join me from uh, around the country, Minneapolis and different parts of Georgia um, for the sibling rivalry summer surprise. And it's um, going to feature uh, six wonderful uh, artists. It's three sibling pairs. Each pair is a violin, piano, brother-sister pair. And we have a wonderful program that we've had the pleasure of collaborating on for a, a few years now and presenting around the country. And we're going to bring it to Delaware on August 22nd for a, hopefully a live performance, um, hopefully for at least a small live audience. But we're also, with the ticket purchased for that event, anybody can access a virtual uh, presentation of the concert a few days later on August 25th. Now, I, I'm assuming then, uh, if you're permitted to do a live performance, uh, what sort of considerations are you taking into account for uh, the audience uh, based on any, you know, 
phased in reentry that the state implements. Right. We'll um, have a plan for how the audience will be ha uh, handled. Of course, we'll follow all the protocols that we have in place already at the Music School of Delaware, which is where the concert will take place in our concert hall at the Music School. Um, and also, um, we will, of course, respect any limitations on audience size. So if they're allowing gatherings of 50 people, we will limit it to the first 50 people who sign up for the live concert. But in this way, by repeating it virtually a few days later, um, we'll have a high-quality live recorded concert that is presented as an event and we'll have a host and it'll and it'll be a lot of fun too. We've um, already been dabbling with that at the music school and had some wonderful experiences already. That's great. Now, now these musicians coming in for the August program, are they the same musicians that you were going to be bringing in in June? Well, so right now it does include the Kusharans, David Kusharan and his sister Julie Kusharan. Uh, David is a, the concertmaster of the Atlanta Symphony and a phenomenal virtuoso violinist, and his sister Julie is a virtuoso pianist. They're a Norwegian uh, brother and sister uh, who have settled in the United States and are pursuing their careers here. The, the other two sibling pairs are Michael Kim and Helen Kim. Michael Kim is the uh, dean or director of the music department at the University of Minnesota and a wonderful pianist. And his sister Helen is the violin uh, faculty chair of the string department at um, Kennesaw State University in Georgia. And then the last pair, the third pair, is my brother and me, uh, William Ransom and me. And, um, and so he also, he's the chair of the piano department at Emory University. And, um, and well, you know who I am. Yeah. So, and, and hence, uh, was it sibling rivalry that you mentioned? Is the, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Um, we have a program that we've specially designed that has some friendly feuding in it um, and also allows each pair of siblings to show off some finesse and some virtuosity. Um, but it's a really, really fun program for the audiences, very high spirited. And uh, we think our Delaware audience will really enjoy it. Now, I'm curious, and uh, stop me if I'm getting too personal. Did you and your brother share the same music teachers growing up? Well, we went to the same academy, uh, not, not, dis, not dissimilar from the Music School of Delaware. It was a, a pre-collegiate non-degree granting school called Blair Academy of Music in Nashville, Tennessee, where we grew up. But he was studying piano and I was wow. studying violin. So okay. um, yeah, I would say we um, probably coached with some of the same teachers in um, chamber music or you know when we would play together but obviously we had separate teachers for our primary instruments. Um, the Blair Academy of Music eventually became the, the Blair School of Music at Vanderbilt University, and that happened long after my brother and I uh, were no longer living in Nashville. Okay, and you, you've actually touched on something that some of our listeners may not be aware of. I know we've talked about it on the show but just uh, before, but just briefly, uh, Seraphin Ensemble uh, originally was a, a quartet, the Seraphin String Quartet. Just to take a minute to talk about the evolution into the ensemble uh, realm and what that's allowed you to do artistically. 
That's right. Seraphim's String Quartet started in 2001, and it thrived for nearly 20 years. The last 10 years of Seraphim String Quartet, we were the quartet in residence at the University of Delaware, and we really enjoyed that relationship so much, working, coaching with the um, students there, um, leading the chamber music program forward, and playing a lot of concerts, and also collaborating with the faculty uh, at the university. Um, you know, things uh, shifted at a certain point, and um, we were having a lot of challenges through, I would say, the the last 10 years of Seraphim Quartet, trying to maintain our, our personnel, especially the viola position, was turning over too frequently, and it, it was frustrating, like starting over every time. So um, it just came time to do something different, and um, the model of the Seraphim Ensemble is actually a roster of 12 artists from all over the country, and these are colleagues and friends now of mine who we who have worked either together with one another or obviously I've worked with all of them here there festivals and series around the country and we love collaborating together so basically we we agree as a roster that when we have opportunities to collaborate we will get together and do that and um we have developed a little bit of a repertoire uh now that we've played together some pieces that we've played uh, repeatedly and as time goes by that will increase of course but it's a wonderful group of musicians who have various roles in orchestras um, un on university faculties and um, in other groups one is a wonderful jazz bassist miles brown um, so <clears throat> everyone has their own role here, there, wherever they live, but they also all love to collaborate in small ensemble, small unconducted ensemble. And so that's our meeting ground uh, in the Seraphim Ensemble is our love of chamber music. I have one last question about the Seraphim Ensemble. Is, uh, I mean, during this COVID-19 uh, period, uh, opportunities for live performance obviously are greatly reduced if not uh, eliminated temporarily does this provide musicians an opportunity to take some time to perhaps explore and work up some new repertoire that they might otherwise not have an opportunity to do well certainly when we're not preparing for imminent concert appearances uh, that is a whole different uh, kind of time for us to work in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't have the urgency of readiness for whatever's coming up next on the calendar. And I'm sure that each artist, each musician handles that opportunity in different ways. Some people maybe take a break. Some people do delve into um, revisiting their craft, um, maybe doing more studies and, and some will learn repertoire that has been a, on the shelf that they've been longing to to play but they haven't had that kind of time the the luxury of the free time to uh, start something new from scratch which is a which is a different undertaking from revisiting something you've played many times right yeah it, it, it's interesting how we're how we're filling time that you know as as performing artists is often preparing for a particular performance and and now yeah, we're sort of shifting gears. Uh, speaking of shifting gears, I want to switch over to uh, 
talking about the Music School of Delaware, but let's first uh, remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOB. Our guest joining us today by phone is the Artistic Director and Violinist of Seraphin Ensemble, and now switching to the Music School of Delaware, Kate Ransom is also the President and CEO of the Music School. So Kate, let's switch to the Music School. I mean, suddenly in mid-March, you were told that you couldn't have students coming into the building. So this was, I'm sure, a shock to all of you as administrators, as well as to the teachers who would host both uh, individual lessons as well as group lessons. How has the music school adjusted? Because I've, I've seen you're doing some really creative work. Well, thanks. It's, um, it's been a tremendous transition. Uh, the music school of Delaware was not either outfitted and our faculty were not particularly prepared for virtual instruction. So um, the first step we took was to try to acclimate our faculty to how, how to do that and, uh, and bring them along to a willingness to do that. Um, I, I think pretty soon after the shutdown, um, my, the whole community, our staff, our faculty, and our board here at the music school took in and understood that maintaining engagement with our students and continuing to deliver the mission of the school was essential and that just because we couldn't do it in the way we might prefer to didn't mean that we could do, couldn't do something meaningful. And and so within three weeks from the, the governor's order, um, we had 85% of our faculty delivering virtual instruction. And uh, already by then we were developing ways to uh, interact and engage with the large ensembles like the Delaware Youth Symphony Orchestra. And they've been so creative and so um, dedicated to figuring out meaningful things to do. For example, the youth orchestra has had master classes and sectional coachings virtually from um, uh, our teachers and from uh, members of the Baltimore and National Symphonies. They've worked um, in special session with a Grammy-nominated Grammy composer. And, um, and they've, we, they've had a session with our music therapist about what it's like to, to cope with um, isolation. And um, one of our faculty members has done a session on music and dance um, related to the music that they're playing. So the creativity has been enormous. The dedication has been phenomenal. And it's really helped us make a meaningful transition to keep uh, so, so many of our current families active and, and, and engaged. And this, at this time, that may be more important than ever. You know, parents and uh, young ones are shut up at home. So spending their time in meaningful ways that are is inspiring and engaging is all the more important. I'm curious because I know you have a, a track record of, of teaching children from preschool to uh, seniors. I think you have some students in their yeah. teens. Uh, right. How you, you mentioned 85% of your teachers uh, pretty quickly were teaching um, uh, online. What about the students? How how has that uh, what's what's that retention been like? And and do you see differences uh, generationally in their ability to uh, to adjust? 
Um, I think it varies depending on the program. So, for example, we have a very high percentage of our Suzuki Academy uh, students and families and faculty uh, still actively engaged in what they were doing before. And we have certain faculty members who were very conversant with using uh, virtual or distance learning methods. And so we've also um, tapped them to help the other faculty uh, learn to do that quickly. Um, so, but yes, it's the span of activities. So the community orchestra has had sessions with their conductor um, on score reading and um, how to program a concert. Uh, they had an ask me anything sec session with their um, with their conductor, and they've had um, some sectionals or um, sessions where they do like an open mic, so they play their their excerpts for one another and uh, get a little critique, so they get tips from the conductor and and from others. So it's taken creativity and adaptability, but and even in our early childhood program, the same thing applies. Um, there are activities that can be done virtually and that can help parents engage with their student with their children even at a very young age and uh, keep their keep music in their day in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. I, but um, we're oh go ahead. We're sure um so, but we didn't stop there. We're innovating as well uh, in terms of we thought to ourselves, how can we um, potentially tap new students in this situation? Um, and isn't this a time when people might like to try something, uh, an engaging activity that maybe they haven't had the opportunity before, but now they're shut up in their home, perhaps they have the time to do it. So. We rolled out a couple of new things. One is a virtual lesson six pack. It's like a sampler for someone trying it for the first time. It's only for brand new students. It cannot be for someone who's already enrolled. We had 17 people enroll in that and pay tuition for that. And so, and now they're reaching the end of their first six lessons and they've asked about renewing. So it's been a very um, successful experiment and um, obviously providing something meaningful. We also did about five or six um, classes, so six sessions, a six pack of music classes, and uh, and those several of those are running. So um, other than that, we went on to try to do activities for youth and activities for adults that are single session offerings. Some of them are free, some of them are a modest price like $10. And we even included a music therapy session, a relaxed to music stress buster. That's great. Be before I forget, uh, where can our listeners find out more information about the Music School of Delaware? Oh, at our website. So it's the it's musicschoolofdelaware.org. And um, all of the information and descriptions of these uh, virtual classes is available there. Yeah, we've got a couple minutes left, so I, I, I have a question for you. I'm, as we're talking here, I'm remembering back to my piano lessons when I was in grade school with Mrs. Mayer sitting on the edge of the bench with me, not only listening to me play and clearly observing that I hadn't practiced as much as I should have, but also paying attention to my hand placement and my curved fingers and all that sort of thing. What does a typical virtual lesson look like between the teacher and the student? Well, it's, 
it is different. And obviously the teacher can't uh, actually physically manipulate someone's posture or position or their hand position. So there's more explaining mm -hmm. or demonstrating like, let me show you how to position your fingers. Uh, and then the student looks at the uh, split screen to see what the teacher is doing. Right. So um, it's very similar to when you, you do a Zoom meeting and you have uh, two people on your screen or more people on your screen, but in the case of a private lesson, two people on your screen. Um, and it is different, but a lot of our faculty are reporting that uh, the process of learning seems to actually sink in for a lot of students more uh, readily and um, and to and to uh, they retain the information from week to week, and some of them are actually progressing faster. So uh, we're learning so fast about the capabilities and, and the limitations of, of virtual instruction. But I think this is all a whole new universe that is opened up to us now, and it's not the future, it's today. So uh, we, we're just trying to do what we can with what we have in the present. Well, and what, what you're alluding to is one of the unintended consequences, and, and that is uh, professional development for your teachers. Uh, you know, thinking about different ways of offering instruction, which I think that's correct. That's that's correct too. Yes, we're all learning a lot from this whole experience. Yeah. Well, Kate, we're we're running down to the end of our time here. I uh, I really want to thank you for for joining us today. I know you're busy with uh, the Music School of Delaware. It's still operating uh, full throttle and uh, making plans for Seraphin Ensemble to do as much as they can. Uh, again, I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you.